part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Welcome to Bustin' Blockbusters. That's Double B, ladies and gentlemen. It is a podcast where we cover all kinds of big franchises, but for the fall of 2022, we're specifically focusing on the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. And I am joined, as always, for these particular podcasts by a wonderful YouTuber. You can find her on the YouTube at Priscilla TV. Priscilla, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. And I'm also glad to be here. All right. Glad that you want to be here. Most people who come on these podcasts with me do not, but they suffer it anyway. We're talking about that. season one, episode three, Adar. I don't know if that was a proper pronunciation or not. I really didn't pay that close. Amazing. Attention. Did I get it? Yeah. <laughs> it was written by Jason Cahill and Justin Doble and directed, or is that Duble? I don't know. Uh, directed by Wayne Chi Yul. Um, mm -hmm. uh, somebody who I am not really familiar with as a director, but I love the way this episode looks. So I guess I should have no complaints. I also love the performances. Speaking of which, let's get right to our ratings. We are part of mm -hmm. the Double P Media Network. So we need to give double ratings uh, or double letters for our ratings. I'm going to start with you, Priscilla, uh, because you have a lot here that you want to say, I think, right up front. Uh, what was your rating for season one, episode three, Adar? Well, problem is it's not a double, it's a triple. Oh, you've got a triple. Holy. I got a triple. Yeah. It's nine triple H. Oh, of course. Wait, wait a minute. Triple H? Yeah. Halbrand's happy hours. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I knew already that he would be a smooth talker, but... My God, he is indeed a smooth talker. Now the guy has charm, and he makes friends everywhere he goes. And it really impressed me how he could manage to keep money on him after being shipwrecked, and like, you know. Yeah. But he managed, and he bought beer for everyone, and I admire him for that. And I gotta say, I enjoyed this episode more than the first two episodes i know i've seen some opinions that like mm, some people enjoyed more the second and i also saw people enjoying more the first which is completely normal now this is a series so like the episodes will resonate differently for different people i mm -hmm. personally i really like it i think the story kind of kicks out uh up here now it's we have exposition, of course, but the first two episodes were more of this world building. We are introduced to a new location that's Numenor. But um, I think that like some questions I had were answered here. And here we also have some more questions, which is also fine. I mean, so I really like it. Okay. Uh, I gave it uh, uh the lowest score that i've given it but not really because mm -hmm. it was a poor quality episode i just found some things a little annoying this time around mm -hmm. and so i gave it 8.8 .8 out of 10 what i like to call double m's double m's yeah mordor mappings uh okay. to have the sigil become just basically a map of mordor uh i have to admit 
was kind of disappointing to me. I thought the overall the episode was really good. Um, Uh I did like the first two episodes a little better because maybe I was just I got them back to back and I was getting all of this freshness and just taking it all excited. Yeah, Uh I was just the excitement made me rate them higher. Plus too many connections for me in this episode. I didn't need Uh to see the fact that Galadriel just happened to be in in a painting of Elrond and his I like the information about Elrond and Elros both being uh, brothers. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that that this definitely establishes that Elrond is not a full elf, which when you think back to that first episode, uh, gives that whole elf lords only thing uh, a, a, a context that some people originally thought. And I tended to go to the lord side of it just because I didn't want to discriminate against Elrond. But he's only half yeah. elf at any rate. Only half. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed um getting the reference of Elrond mm-hmm. and, and Elros, but I didn't need to see Galadriel in the picture. I mean, it's how much did those two hang out all this time? Uh, so, I think they established that they are friends. So yeah. friends do hang out a lot, right? I, I guess so. Uh, nonetheless, it just seems, mm-hmm. uh, it just seems awful uh, convenient that she happened to be there for the painting, just, just so that they could illustrate the point that Elrond and Elros were, were mm-hmm. half elves. Uh, it didn't mm-hmm. really need Galadriel in there. Um, yeah. The fact that Halbrand is from the line of kings, uh, that his ancestry was the one that joined uh, Morgoth, uh, and yeah. he, his, he's from the line of kings from Mordor, it makes it awful convenient for Galadriel's mission as well. Now, I understand that there uh-huh. are often things that happen by her uh, circumstance in Tolkien's lore and and what have you. Uh-huh. I'm fine with that, but I prefer more of the fact that Tolkien wrote a lot about eucatastrophes. So the the fact that um, sometimes the most terrible thing can turn into uh, a happy accident in a way. For instance, mm-hmm. like uh, the fact that Gollum tripped and went over the edge, uh, even mm-hmm. though they did it slightly different in Peter Jackson's movies. But that was the essence essence of the story is that mm-hmm. he's so happy that he won that he trips up and, and falls over, which becomes the victory for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Here, I'm just seeing it being like, oh, well, we need to have a reason for these two to stay together in this story is what is what it felt like to me. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that some of it does come from maybe stuff that they mine from the appendices or whatever, but I'm not, I, I, it just seems like too obvious uh, of a mm. placement of coincidences for me. And that was the reason why I got a couple uh-huh. of points knocked off for me. Uh, the Arendir stuff. I mean, sure. Uh, it's exciting. And we're going to building up mm-hmm. to who is this Adar and whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, to me, the majority of his storyline this time around was just essentially seeing The Rock. If you've ever seen that movie with Sean Connery and I think mm-hmm. it was Nicolas Cage. I don't remember. Nicolas uh, Cage, of course. Yes. How can you forget uh, uh, about? But essentially, Nicolas Cage. it was just—it was just. I know it's such a fabulous movie, isn't it? Uh, but I don't remember. <laughs> I don't have any idea. I don't remember. It's been years since I've seen it. But The Rock by Sean Connery. But uh, is no, is Nicolas Cage there really, or I just? I think he has to break in to try and get somebody out. Isn't that the oh, okay? The plot of the story or something <laughs> like that. But anyway, essentially, it's it's just uh, mm-hmm. it just felt like oh let's. Let's see orcs 
Oh, oh, look, they don't like sunlight. Well, we already knew that. Well, most of us knew that. Maybe new mm-hmm. people didn't. So I, I'm okay with that. Uh, let's see how horrible these orcs can be. Let's kill all of Arendir's friends. Um, so, and, and then Arendir does all kinds of Legolas things. So again, to me, it was just The Rock, but this time starring Legolas <laughs> instead. Uh, and those are my kind of thoughts about it. But did you have any okay. other thoughts before we move on to the music? I have counter arguments like that you think that all this coincidence they just built up for uh, because like to serve the plot of the Aladio is that what you're saying that is like it's too convenient uh I see another in another way let's say like okay uh, well she even says in the episode she says you know there, there's exactly a bigger force here I, putting us together yeah but that's I exactly just don't. I saying. just don't buy it that there, there would be that many coincidences. That's I, w- I will try to explain. Um, I think like it's established that nobody's listening to Galadriel, right? Mm. Yeah. But she's right. So you 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 have a lot of people online. Oh, Galadriel is annoying. I mean, nobody's listening to her, but she is right. So she is obviously annoyed. So what does she do? She kind of decides that if nobody's acting on the menace like she's acting herself she mm-hmm. she's like calling the responsibility for herself so then all these coincidences happen and it feeds in her this idea that it's actually meant to be there is this divine uh intervention so it feeds to her sense of duty to her paranoia and to also have frustration that people are not listening to her so all when all these things start happening she's like okay i need an army so she ends up in numenor uh and then she ends up with elendil who is a guy who has some contacts not all the contacts but he has no so there is like a a, a big uh, possibility there that she will have this uh, army, no? Because she wants to fight Sauron, but she doesn't have an army. So in Numenor, she might have a one army. And then where Sauron is, she finds out that he is in the Southlands, that there is a plan for the Southlands. But she already knows this guy, who not only is from the Southlands, but he is from um, a royal line. Mm-hmm. So in her la- la- head, it's like, oh my God, by Eru Iluvita, this is what I'm meant to be. I'm meant to do, like not only have one army, but also have a second army, this Mordor army, like the Southlands arms. If I manage to get the Numenor there to unite all these tribes under this guy, then I have two arms. Then I don't need to go back to Gilgalad. Mm-hmm. Huh? So I think that that is more or less what the the plot is going. And with Arondir, like for every discovery they may, they're making in Numenor, you kind of seeing the confirmation in the Adam's plot line. So she discovered like that Sauron has a plan that like Morgoth kind of had like a second plan of domination. So you see that like the orcs are actually excavating that they have like um, some sort of not a they have a leadership there and they they have um, a clear design of what they are trying to do with their land, no. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and then they try to kind of Arondi and his friends. They tie. They try to escape, no, mm. using whatever things that they had uh, there. And you can see kind of like the difference between 
the kind of elf the Arunji is, because he's a Sylvan elf, so he has this connection with forests. No? Right. Uh, and you have all this thing, no, I cannot take this down this tree, but actually he kind of even apologized to the tree. And right. in the end, you have the only flaw that I saw, because like these two plot lines are kind of intersecting each other in this way, is because the guy who the episode is named after, we only see him in the end and we, we don't see. So we get the question for this episode, but we don't get the answer. Yeah. Kind of like this This was the thing that I kind of, uh, I don't know if I like that, but. Okay. Well, uh, Adar is, uh, we didn't even get a full shot of him. It was like a blurry image of him as yeah. he was stepping forward. Uh, so uh, I don't, uh, I don't, Actually, I haven't looked to see who is going to be playing this character, but I can't wait to see the performance when it when it comes. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. The title, uh, like the the second episode title, "Adrift," that was pretty much Galadriel no, and, is, and yeah. Halbrand adrift. Mm -hmm. But the the third title does kind of like say, "Well, here it is." Maybe it should have been called "Build Up." to Adar. <laughs> I don't think that uh, that would have flown well as a title either, but uh, you know, it would have been more true. Um, yeah. Although it his name does get said like, I don't know, 17, 18 times by orcs in the episode. Uh, so, but to me, the whole Aaron Deer storyline was just, yeah, it was just kind of like, Oh, orcs are bad. Let's show you how that's basically all that I got out of that. Um, because the things that they discovered, mm isn't helping anybody right now except us as viewers you did say that it kind of confirms some things but it doesn't uh mm -hmm. to me it doesn't really um do anything except to explain to us that orcs are bad and they look cool so no uh they established that these orcs in the second age they um they have some sort of like reaction to sunlight that's true no, and like for instance, like in, in the trilogy, we see another kind of orcs that like Saruman orcs that like the Urukhai, they yeah, are they, different. they can move they in can... daylight easily, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you establishing that these are the OGs. All right, I guess that answers that. I, so let me talk about something that I know a little bit better than this stuff, and that is the music of this episode. We're looking at the theme for Numenor. Uh, that was all over this episode this time around. Mm. Today in the musical analysis, we're going to be talking about the theme for Numenor and some of its other components that may break down to be a theme for Muriel as well. Uh, just due to slight changes, but we'll talk about that as we go along. This theme is glorious. Another great bear construction, uh, not unlike the dwarf theme to me, which I know I still haven't broken down. I haven't broken down the main theme either, and I apologize for that. But this theme is a lot like the dwarf theme in the way that it is so powerful in the presentation of the voice, a timbre that's very important in this series so far uh with the dwarves of course you had those low droning sounds of the voice a lot which made it, it 
reminded me a lot of the old Tibetan monk kind of sound, uh, which has often been associated with the dwarves. I think even Howard Shore used a little bit of that. Um, perhaps not, but maybe it's been used in other franchises regarding dwarves. That kind of low manly growl thing here full chorus of just glorious voice um not in the same way that the, it was used for the elves for valinor either it, it's it's uh, a different kind of timbre it's it's just the mixture uh that's kind of lies right in between that low dwarf sound and that high elf sound um that really helps accentuate a lot the other thing that I really noticed at the beginning in just terms of creating a sense of power was the percussion in this, uh, a specific rhythm of dun, da, dun, 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 da, dun, 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 dun. Like there is a uh, questioning phrase and then an answering phrase in the answering phrase by adding that extra beat. Um, I probably didn't sing it real well. So here it is on the piano. And there were other great timbres as well. There's kind of an exotic sounding instrument, which I'm sorry, I haven't identified yet. I haven't had time because I'm doing this kind of on the fly uh, as we get prepared to record the rest of the podcast episode. And I haven't really gotten a chance to break it down that much, but I have broke it down somewhat. There's that is exotic kind of instrument. There's the mixture of the brass there's the mixture of the strings and they all play their different roles in different parts as we go into the city itself or go into the bay i suppose and this theme was used a lot in this particular episode uh we hear it as a lindil ship comes into the harbor there's a brief kind of pause where there's still some music, but it's not really related to the Numenor theme as Galadriel and Halbrand are having a conversation about the history of Numenor and its history with the elves and kind of the breakup with the elves and all of that. Um, and then it returns when they go to the uh, palace while uh, they're still approaching it. And we see the palace and the great tree of Numenor for the first time. And then uh, when Muriel mentions that uh, Numenor uh, paid for the island after Galadriel accused him of it being given to them by the elves, uh, but they they had paid for it in blood, a minor version of that is heard. And I'll get to that in a minute. But first, I guess we need really need to look at the melodic shape and the harmony that is employed. So the full theme as best it can be done on the piano, sounds something like this. Now, one of the things that I really love about this is the melodic shape. It kind of dips down just a little bit, then back up, then back down, and then up higher, and then this big drop an octave lower. Big jumps are often big indicators of how to feel about this story melodically. What is the melodic shape 
trying to tell us. And again, I mean how high or how low the notes go. And having big jumps like this one is a full octave from the highest note to the lowest note, and it happens immediately, indicates that this is kind of a turbulent place to us. It also indicates that um, this is a society that is capable of great highs and great lows. So that's telling us something about Numenor's culture without us seeing anything, although it is accompanied by these beautiful images of Numenor and, or it is accompanying these beautiful images of Numenor as we see it. But melodically, it's also telling you there's something that is quite turbulent here. And we see that throughout the course of this particular episode as uh, Galadriel is struggling with what's going on with Numenor and what have you. And as you know, there, there's different aspects of the story. Why do they not like elves? What's going on there? And what's the turbulence behind that? And a lot of that centers again around the variation for Muriel. But one of the most amazing presentations of it, of course, was also as uh, Alindiel takes Galadriel to the Hall of Lore, uh, the horse riding sequence. Just beautiful. And again, it gives us this big epic version of it that uh, goes along with those epic landscapes that we see. Uh, I love that one because it ended really kind of ended with the Galadriel theme being played at the end. It was a nice combination of the themes. One of the things that makes that work and also something that tells us that there's something not quite right about Numenor is the harmony. And the harmony actually starts off on what we call a suspension, meaning that there's no third represented, but we're, we have an ode in there that makes us feel like we need to resolve it. And remember, major makes us feel more at ease uh, or makes it feel powerful, whereas minor tends to make things feel darker. And both are present in the harmonies in this. Uh, the key is listening to the third of the note. And you don't need to know these numbers, but by knowing the third of the note and how it fits in the chord tells you whether a chord is major or minor. And this line actually creates this chromatic sense also, which in its own way creates a little bit of tension. But the harmony to listen for is this. When you have a major chord, as in the first part of that, you typically cannot have the kind of minor chord at the end of this particular melody. It's not a, a way that the scales fit together. You have to borrow those from two different scales, and it can be done easily. And we've heard it done in everything from, you know, orchestral music to pop music. It's, it's very common. It's what we call going to the parallel minor. Now, there's a difference between the relative and the parallel minor. The parallel minor actually keeps the same starting and ending notes as its major, whereas a relative minor starts in a different place on that major scale to create the minor sound. 
Again, a lot of terms that you probably don't need to know. But the fact that it's parallel gives it a central place that we can fixate on and say, oh, yeah, here it is in a state of its glory. Ooh, here it is in the state of darkness. And these kind of things help to tell the story narratively uh, through the music. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there is a variation on this theme within the episode itself, such as when Muriel again mentions that Numenor paid for their island in blood, um, and when she is visiting her father in the tower. When we hear that variation, the melodic shape is exactly the same, but the quality of the notes, and by that I mean whether the notes are indicated as major or minor, do change. Uh, instead of that major third in the harmony, we get a minor third in the harmony and the melody. And so it sounds like this. So now that we have something that is all minor for that theme, as opposed to some major and some minor, now we can differentiate that while Muriel may not be a bad person, we just really don't know that yet. She has some kind of dark secret that she is keeping. Uh, as she tells her father, you know, the elf has arrived. Um, clearly, this is something to indicate uh, that Muriel thinks that this is bad. And we didn't really hear the minor version of this associated with any of the landscapes that we saw or anything like that, only with Muriel. So for now, I'm going to call this the Muriel variation of the Numenor theme, specifically for her character or her character's purpose. I mean, we have we don't have enough information to decide anything else yet. But that's going to be the musical analysis for this time around. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to recapping this episode with Priscilla. Priscilla, are you ready for our recap? There's a double R in there somewhere. Uh, yes, I am. Okay. Uh, so I broke it down again, kind of by character storylines, and we're going to mm -hmm. divide that part into halves. We're just going to go over the Galadriel and Halbrand storyline, well, and Elendil storyline uh, as we go through this, uh, which that was kind of exciting to see Elendil and his silver. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Galadriel, uh, she wakens on the ship. It's Elendil's mm -hmm. ship, and Halbrand's there, and uh, he explains to her that uh, they're you know, they're meeting, they're being taken by someone somewhere and they find out that they're being taken to Numenor. But mm -hmm. uh, the captain, who is a Lindil, uh, will not give them any answers about anything. And Galadriel sees that uh, he has snatched her prized possession, her brother's dagger. Mm -hmm. um, then they figure out that they're going into Numenor. And there were so many uh, things that reminded me of course, of the stories, but specifically of Peter Jackson's look for Gondor, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I did love that they seemed to have torches that were much more automated. All the guy had to do was raise his hand and somebody up there lit it. They, they have mm -hmm. people actually uh, manning the beacons all the time rather than having to 
climb up somewhere as they did in Return of the King. But nonetheless, I, I loved the I loved the beacons. I loved all of the statues, the faces, it, it were, the Argonath is what it reminded me of. It, it, it uh, uh, as they came down the river to Gondor in the uh, the Fellowship of the Rings. And then they are escorted through uh, the port, and there's a brief moment in there where Galadriel kind of explains the history between elves and the Numenorians, and how they didn't got along great to fight. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it seems like the Numenorians said, "No, you are now persona non grata." Mm -hmm. uh, Galadriel's very resentful of that. It seems. Mm -hmm. They are brought before the, this uh, Queen Regent. Uh, we know her, uh, at least according to the credits, as Queen Regent Muriel and a Chancellor, Chancellor Fazeron. I, I hope is how you say that. I'm not sure. Uh, it's Muriel and Farazon. 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 All right. Well, I'm not well, going to be but... good at that. I'm going to call it the Queen and the Chancellor from now on. Yeah, better. <laughs> Uh, it does not go well for Galadriel in this first meeting. Uh, she's cha challenging the queen. Uh, but Halbrand, of all people, uh, is finding a way to do a compromise. He kind of gets it like, just let us stay here till you decide what you want to do with us. Uh, Galadriel's not ha happy about the fact that she's more or less a guest, but that really means prisoner. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that Halbrand does is he manages to give Elendil a hug of thanks, uh, but he also gets the dagger back for Galadriel. So I thought that was good. Uh, that was a very good double H. Double H? Yeah, Halbrand hug. Oh, uh, so, I want one of those. Yeah, you want a Halbrand hug? Yeah, like mm. somebody hugs me and gives me something. Yeah. Oh, no, you mean... See, they were Ellen's taking it away from you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. No, yeah. I wanted the other hug. You want to be the you want to be the Halbrand hugger. No, no, you want to be the Halbrand. Galadriel. Yeah, you want to be Galadriel. Getting just getting the dagger back. Uh, yeah. but anyway, the Queen and the Chancellor, they are not happy about the arrival of this elf for reasons which aren't really still being made completely clear, but it, it's obviously disturbing uh the Queen quite a bit. But mm -hmm. she's also interested in Elendil himself, who uh, seems to be a person who's been in the service on ships a lot of times. And uh, mm -hmm. we find out that he has a son named Isildur. Now, these names should be, at least Isildur, should be very familiar to people who have seen Peter Jackson's films. Uh, he was the original king that we saw in the prologue of The Fellowship of the Ring, who ended up cutting the ring from Sauron, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. So uh, that might give you a little bit of a spoiler about what uh, what's going to happen to some of these characters uh, in this story, but because we know that Isildur was a king there, but it's stuff that's already out there, so I don't feel any problem saying that. Um, anyway, after Isildur's training to become like his dad, I suppose, and, and after he's <laughs> He uh, has to, uh, he's on the ship, but he keeps hearing whispers uh, from from the shore or something calling his name, which is very strange. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that's about. Did you did you pick up on anything that that might be about? Or was it just the fact that um, something out there is calling him uh, to that place? 
Well, I think like the whole uh, thing with this family is because they come from the west of the island, right? Of Numenor. Mm, the western shores, and, yeah. Yeah, so maybe it's like uh, it's been calling to him like to return because they are no longer there. Uh, they left. Mm, okay. Maybe. Could... And like just to a quick uh, lesson geography, if you're like west uh, of Numenor, um, you are closest as a mortal can get to Valinor. No, you're like in the, the limits. And if you have a Palantir, you can actually see an island in Valinor from that shore. So the western shore is the shore that is more is closer to the elves and to Valinor, both in cultural terms and in geographical terms too. So maybe it was calling to Isildur because um, you know they are living this life where they are not quite aligned with the the powers that took over Numenor, which mm. we see in Faranzon, no? that they are against elves and stuff. So uh, they are trying to keep low, uh, not declare themselves. Maybe this is Isildur's uh, like inner desire that he wants to go back to the West, more or less, and align himself to this other culture in Numenor. That's my take, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'd like to take. I like it a lot. At any rate, doesn't matter what it comes from or why. The fact of the factor is, or the fact is that it just it absolutely distracts Isildur to the point where his one of his fellow shipmates ends up making a mistake uh, with a sail, and that leads to some double S's. Double S's. Yeah, ship shenanigans. Uh, oh, but Isildur yeah. saves the day, and uh, after uh, they complete the exercise and come back out on uh, shore, and uh, Isildur's friend is getting an absolute chewing. Doesn't look like he's going to make the make the cut of these people being trained at the rate that he's going. But Isildur's sister, uh, Ar- okay, Arian, is that how you say that? Arian, I believe. I think it's close enough. Yeah, uh, she shows up. Uh, he's actually happier to see the horse. And yeah. um, at back at the palace, uh, Elindel, their daddy, is being accused uh, by the queen of being a friend of the elves. Now, oh. she insinuates that he can make it up by guarding Galadriel. That's a double G. And I thought... Initially, when I saw this, (laughs) I thought initially, Priscilla, when I saw this uh, sword, I thought, "Is that is that Narsal? Is that the the we will see the shards of Narsal?" But I looked at a lot of pictures from Peter Jackson's films Mm -hmm. of Narsal, and the pommel doesn't seem right. Like the end, the very end of the pommel uh, seems different than this one. So if it is supposed Mm to be uh, Narsil then I don't think that they've made the connection visually yet. But I did ask just because we happen to know that um, that particular sword, uh, Narsil, was the one that Isildur used uh, to mm-hmm. cut off the finger, uh, or, or once it was sharded, was the one that uh, cut off the finger of Sauron and, and freed mm-hmm. the ring. 
So I think uh, it, it's still a possibility. Did you think that that was Narsil? Um, I don't think they can make like uh, such a close visual connection like with the Peter Jackson movie for oh, legal okay. reasons. Okay. So this might be the future in Arzio. This might be. I don't the, think this, it is now. Okay, in this universe, in this uh, Amazon universe, it might be. It might be. I don't know exactly okay. now if it is, but like they cannot like just copy the Peter Jackson's Narzio and put in the rings of power because they, otherwise they would get like some lawyers on them. So well, probably, but at the same yeah. time, uh, you got the beacons, you got the, the Argonath and everything that looked an awful lot like Peter Jackson stuff to me. I mean, not exactly, but no, um, but not pretty... exactly. They can, they can remind you of, yeah. but they right. cannot be exact copy you know yeah well there, there's a big difference between having a circle at the end of your mm -hmm. of your pommel and having like this point thing that comes to a point uh -huh. with a little bit of a slit in there uh as it was in the peter jackson so that's why okay i yeah. was kind of i was like they can come closer than that if they're trying to show that that is the actual sword um, yeah that's, that's you're all right yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's why i think it, it's not but if you think differently folks please we want to hear from you. Uh, tweet to Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. You can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or you can leave comments at the website, mattsaudioblog.com. Don't forget that we are part of Double P Media, and our videos show up on their YouTube. Search for Double P Media, the word double, the letter P, the word media.com for all of the links, or you can go to youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media, and comment on the videos there. And we will include your feedback in our podcast from there as well. So uh, moving on, naturally, uh, Galadriel is not having anything about, mm -hmm. uh, about being a prisoner. So she escapes pretty easily. Uh, I thought that that was scene was a little bit comical, the way she's dancing around on roofs right above the people who are looking for her. And then she's trying to scope out a boat because she needs to get back to Middle Earth, evidently. Mm -hmm. uh, but Elendil, who has been assigned to guard her, uh, finds her uh, immediately. He's a pretty smart cookie. Uh, mm -hmm. And he is going to reason with her. And it, it, they, he even speaks uh, Quinya, which is, mm -hmm. uh, or Quinya, however you say that elven language. I'm not good at that stuff. But... Uh, he speaks to her and tells her there's a place where she can find some of the answers that she's looking for called the hall of lore. And it's only mm -hmm. a quarter days right away. All he had to do was mention horses and Galadriel's in. She likes horses. Yeah. Apparently. But um, uh, Matt, uh, the thing uh, is, I don't think he's guarding her. I think he's guiding her, you know, like the whole thing with media media, of course, like she's playing a double game there. Mm. No, because the court has been um, of disposition against elves, but her father is not, and her father was deposed, and she uh, is officially in with the crowd, but she makes sure to go talk to Ellen during private, and she's grilling him to see which side he belongs, because he's keeping low. Even though he's from the West Shores, he's keeping low. No? And then when she figures out that he uh, 
he's not as against elves as the others, she gives him this idea, oh, can you please take a look at this prisoner? Because if you take a look at the prisoner, you don't simply get a couple of horses and go travel, right? Mm, okay. if, if Galadriel was indeed a prisoner, he wouldn't be traveling with her. So it's moralized. Okay, can you guide this elf? Can you make sure that she doesn't do or say anything bad, keep low, but like see what she wants? Moral. That's what I understood from this. Because um, we have the confirmation in the end of the episode, more or less, but this is more aligned to what canonically this queen is about. Okay. Because canonically, she's not even a queen. She's she was she, a hair, yeah, heiress to the, the. She's just a regent yeah. at the moment, according to yeah. her title mm -hmm. in the credits. So, uh, yeah. which is explained uh, after they get to the Hall of Lore. Elendil says that uh, that her father is not uh, dead; that he is in fact just been uh, deposed, deposed in, in yeah. some way, and is uh, in the tower. And that is who she is speaking to at the end of the episode. Yes. Uh, all the while that uh, Galadriel's doing some fun horseback riding, uh, Halbrand is looking for a job. He doesn't really want to go back to Middle Earth, evidently. He wants to become uh, working with steel. He thinks that he's pretty yeah. good at it, but nobody will hire him unless he has a specific crest proving that he, he was part of the guild or something, I'm assuming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he needs this crest. And lo and behold, uh, in, in Harland, uh, Halbrand's happy hour, as uh, as Priscilla called it, the Triple H, uh, he discovers someone who has such a crest. And so he becomes friendly, uh, buys everybody around. He's got endless pockets. Uh, I thought he might have some money in that little pouch of his, but I don't think he had enough to pay for two rounds for everybody uh, the way yeah. that he did. So mm -hmm. uh, there you go. Uh, that's one of the things that seemed interesting. One of the things, though, that you can think about um, and I don't know how much his lineage is known, but perhaps the fact that we now know that he does have this lineage as a former king. Um, maybe there's some Swiss bank accounts that he can access from anywhere, like Numenor. He can say, yeah. I'm blah, 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 blah. And he just no. kind of gets a forward. No? I think he's stole from somebody. I think he has like sticky fingers or something. Uh, yeah. Well, he's pretty good at that. He stole that. Uh, yeah. He stole that dagger back for galadriel mm -hmm. for sure uh and yeah. he's he stole the he stole the crest from this guy but they end up figuring it out and they corner mm -hmm. him uh by calling him a uh i guess it was a, a lowborn person and punching him he then says mm -hmm. uh you we're gonna fix that and he just basically opens a can of whoop ass on these guys including a radicalized radius sonoma uh, that's a double R with a U. Uh, I love that shot. Uh, as somebody who uh, has experience in, in the field of radiography, um, no, it didn't look exactly like the way it would if, if the wrist was separated from those two, from the ulna. And the oh, radiography. my God. It was close enough. It was fun mm -hmm. to see. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I've never seen anything like that before, but I, I can see it happening. Uh, so I love that. Uh, at any rate, uh, he, he doesn't get away from the police. So the, the, the police mm -hmm. come calling 
Um, no defunding the police in this episode. It's guards. Uh, he, they are not police. I think they are guards. Well, whatever they are, uh, they end up uh, they end up throwing him in jail. Now, yeah. we find out as Galadriel goes to the local library. Uh, that's a double L. Uh, she goes to the local library and requests a couple of books. And guess what? Mm -hmm. That particular yes. place was established by Elrond's brother, Elros, uh, establishing that they are both half-elves. And I'm not sure of who, which elf was the mother or which person, which race was the mother and which race was the father, uh, because I haven't looked that long in, into the lore. They were both half-elves, actually. Okay. So Elrond and Elros's mo mother and father were both half-elves? Well, technically, yeah. Like the mother, like her father was a half elf, technically. Okay. okay. All right. And the the broad the, the the father was like this the father was um the father of the father, the grandfather of Elros and Elrond was a man and the grandmother was um uh an elf. Wait, is this the Baron the story? Family. No, the bad story is from uh, the mother's side. Okay. Well, I, I'm confused now. Here's why I'm really confused. If these guys' yeah. lineage is so, is so you know, disseminated across mm -hmm. several generations, then how the heck is it that Elrond gets invited back to Villanor, Valinor? Well, it's like a matter of choice. There is a lot of things... Like, if you pay attention to the lore, mm -hmm. many things are matters of choices. Like, mm -hmm. the Vala seldom would just impose things on people. Uh, they would just tell people, basically, the rules are this. Are you going to follow the, follow the rules or not? Then you have to choose. And if you choose not to follow the rules, then you face some consequences. So, But they don't force you to do something. So, basically, this, that's, this is what happens to Eros and Aaron. Uh, they are granted due to their lineage, because their lineage was both man and elf, that they could um, choose which destiny they would follow okay. through, to which race they would be accounted for. So Elrond chose the race of man and Aaron chose the race of elves. The problem that I have with that now is the fact that Gil-Galad makes it sound like getting into Valinor is like the golden prize, baby. Like mm -hmm. you don't, you don't get the elves don't get to, it doesn't seem like they get to choose. It seems like they get selected. No, no, I don't think it's that. No, I, I, because I don't, I don't know what kind of lore they are trying to establish for the show because they are not making clear that not all elves are elves of mm -hmm. Valinor. Okay. So Gil Galad is uh, an elf from an older family. You're right. You heard Galadriel so he, say the same in this episode. Exactly. She is the daughter of Finarfin, which is the high king of the Norders in Valinor. Gilgalad is the high king of the Norders in Middle-earth. But there are other, other elves that are okay. in Middle-earth that never went to Valinor. They have other cultures. They have like uh, other practices. Then they recognize the Valor, but in this case, a sylvan elf like Arondir, like in the lore, when he dies, he can answer the summons of Mendos, meaning he can go to Valinor to be re-embodied, to be reincarnated 
in Valinor, a Sylvan elf that has never been to Valinor before. But he has to accept that. So um, a couple of times Tolkien makes this distinction clear. No, he actually went about revising much of his lore too. But in this case, he's saying a Sylvan elf can, uh, when he dies, he can actually either go to Valinor to answer the summons, or he can stay in Middle-earth and become a spirit of a tree, to become one with the nature, if he doesn't okay. want to. All right. Uh, yeah, so I think the ones who are born in Valinor, when they die, for instance, they have to go to Mandos. And the people in Middle-earth who wants to go to Valinor by ship, going to the Grey Havens, for instance, mm-hmm. um, if they have not taken part of the king's laying, then there is a, like a big chance that the that the passage to Valinor is open to them, because the passage to Valinor is not open to everybody. So if you are kingslayer, if you are elf kingslayer, you cannot go. Mm-hmm. Or if you have um, gone to Middle Earth against the Valar's wishes and never repented, for instance, you cannot go. Wow, that's an awful lot of rules, Priscilla. I'm, I'm sorry. confused. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm no, no, you explained it very well. I'm just kidding you. Mm. Uh, it turns out, nonetheless, regardless of any of that, it turns out that checking out books is good for you. Well, yeah, even when those items are in black speech, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, sometimes you can find a banned book in a library. Uh, but she uh, figures out Sauron's plan uh, by turning a sigil sideways. She uh, now suddenly understands it's a map of Mordor. That's a double M. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part seems to be solved. Now, Elendil uh, just leaves her alone with the lore or whatever, or sends her back to uh, where to the palace or wherever, uh, because he has to have dinner and drinks with his son and daughter and he becomes really upset when Isildur Mm -hmm. uh, wants to kind of defer his service for a year and he Mm -hmm. starts talking about his brother and evidently his brothers tried to convince him that they need to return to the western shores correct just like you mentioned earlier Uh, yeah but when AI Uh, (laughs) oh go ahead I find I find this part hilarious because Ellen, you just like witness Galadriel realizing that the the world is about to end, basically that more Morgoth had a, a plan B, and then he goes to dinner with his family. Gotta have that one last dinner. Together. It's a last supper kind of deal. <laughs> no. And he gets pissed because his son doesn't want to be a sailor. Or like doesn't want to go to school again. Like it's yeah. the well, world is about to end. To, like, wants to drop out of school a week before graduating. Way to go, boy! That's yeah. uh, that's what you call putting it off to the last minute. Thanks a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It is funny. It is funny. But uh, uh, evidently, his daughter has reapplied also for the artist guild, and she's made the cut. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't. Builders, even... huh? It's builders guild. I sit corrected. Uh, but anyway, uh, Isildur manages to slip out the door. And uh, during that whole sequence, Lloyd Olin, uh, Owen, who plays uh, Isildur, I, mm-hmm. kept hearing, I kept hearing Sean Bean's voice when he was playing oh. Bormir in Gondor. I swear to God, maybe it's just the way that he says the word Isildur, but mm-hmm. I swear to God, I was like, oh my God, that guy's really uh, manifesting his is Sean Bean Boromir in this scene uh, because it just seemed like every 
every word that came out of his mouth, I was just like starting to see Ned Stark um, and, and Boromir at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that was one of the things that really got me. Mm, they are lovely people. I love them. They, they seem, uh, I, I like, I like the sister. I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that she's, she's probably, uh, she's cute. Yeah. Well, and also to me, it seems like that there is, um, something perhaps about Isildur's mother, Ella, mm. uh, Elendil's, Elendil's, uh, wife, um, because you don't see her around anywhere. And Isildur says something to him about, you know, how, or Elendil says to Isildur, how being on the water will help calm him down and whatever. And Isildur says, mm -hmm. just like you. And I assumed that that was a <gasps> reference to his mother. Why? Why do you assume that? Huh? Why do you think that? Do you think Elendil was a terrible husband? No, no. I think that Elendil is mourning, still mourning the loss of his wife. Just ah, as Isildur okay. is mourning the loss of his mother. I think that's I what that was now. about. Yeah, okay, not, okay. not not anything violent, <laughs> nothing bad. It's just that she happened to die. Uh, no, Isildur is accusing his father of murdering his mother. That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we'll strike that from the record. Uh, but yeah. no, I, I just believe it's over the loss of. Okay, of, of got her. it. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway. Uh, Galadriel has returned uh, to the to the bay, and she uh, is going to pay Halbrand a visit. He's in jail. Um, mm -hmm. Evidently, she's going to act as his lawyer too, because she seems to think that she can get him out of there. But uh, yeah. she she lets him know that she found the crest that he'd been keeping around his neck, and it turns out that he's part of a line of kings from the Southlands. She asks Halbrand to join her and to go back to Middle Earth to raise, you know, like you said, not just one, but perhaps two armies. And uh, Muriel, uh, however, uh, knows something about this prophecy or a prophecy or something that involves an elf arriving. Um, mm -hmm. And evidently she feels that that elf is Galadriel. So mm -hmm. she goes to the tower where her deposed father is and tells him about it and yeah. says just by saying the elf has arrived or whatever that she said mm -hmm. so whew, that's a lot wow. of galadriel story yeah uh, any other thoughts about this part of the story before we uh, take a little break for what's worse well i think the um, the thing about this possible prophecy mm -hmm. uh, um i at first i didn't understand much why was there but uh, maybe it's connected. Maybe, who knows, Miriel's father has the foresight. Maybe that's why they uh, they chose to go in this route of him being deposed and she being the regent. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's what it's all about, that the guy saw something and uh, they came up with this strategy you know, to calm people down in the court. Uh, but... Um, I was, I was, uh, I don't know. I don't like prophecies, uh, like, like this used this way. Like, okay. Uh, this is like a sign that we, that something very bad is happening because this person arrived, you know, and Ellen's you 
kind of says that to Miriel, but in a way to diffuse the tensions, like, oh, you should not be believing importance and stuff. But then they, they return back to this because it's like, um, it's a sign of the faithful. It's a sign uh, of you uh, being a follower of the valor and a friend of elves to believe in this kind of things, you know. So it makes sense that her father would believe that and her father would tell her that. Uh, but I don't know if if you if you call this a prophecy, I, I will be a little bit unsure because to me, like well, it seems she, like she perceives it maybe maybe we should say more as an omen. Yeah. Yeah. And then a prophecy. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little break before we start the other two storylines. We've got two what's worse questions for this section of the storyline. What's worse? Priscilla, you will pick a question here. Read it to me. I will give my answer, and then you will have to argue the opposite answer. Uh, you, pick a you pick the question first, and then I'll take the other one. Hey, Matt, so what is worse? Like finding a forbidden elf on your voyage and having to bring her into your boss or having a son who wants to drop out of school a week before graduation? Well, obviously, and I mean super obviously, having a son who wants to drop out a week before graduation <laughs> is the worst. I, yeah. I mean, I'm going to take your example from last week and say surly sons are bad and this son is being surly that's a double s and i feel like that that's the worst possible thing imagine the graduation party that that elindil has planned uh he's got he's got relatives coming in from the north or, or something like that he's made all of these plans and isildur just wants to blow it up over a whim he's a draft dodger he's a double d he doesn't want to go into service he doesn't want to do anything like this he just wants to go and and sit on the western shores and listen to whispers that doesn't seem western whispers has a double w that is terrible uh a mm -hmm. terrible uh, kind of ambition to have especially after you've put in so much work to get to this point you're only what nine days away just a little over a week away from graduation yeah and mm -hmm. now you're going to do this to your father who is so proud of you for everything that you've accomplished who's managed to get you out of trouble when you tried to fight a bunch of queen's guards before mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh got you into this to save your life basically and now you're just going to leave what a disturber this young man is he is definitely <laughs> worse mm -hmm. well like I have to debate the, the opposite, right? So, like, finding a forbidden elf, I think, is the worst case scenario for someone in Elendil's position. He is already, like, trying to distance himself from all these elf things, no? These elf lovers, these elf, like, faithful people that see the elves are, are being nice and stuff. And he's trying his best to, to leave this behind and to be a modern man in this no, modern Numenor where people just want to be people. They don't want to, like, this kind of elf, like, invaders coming to their shores and pretending they are friends and stuff. So he just wants to be out of it, out of this confusion. And then, even though he's trying his best, no, he's, like, in the middle of the ocean, then comes an elf, an elf. Mm -hmm. It's like trouble. It's trouble. And he has to take this elf to the island who hates elves, that 
and that hates elves. And the queen hates the elf. Everybody hates the elf. And at some point, it, it's too much. It's too much for him. He has a lot of problems with his family that he has to contend with. And the elf is just a cherry on the top. Exactly. That same family that he's having to contend with that is destroying his chance to throw a great graduation party. Not only that, but Elendil absolutely has to think that uh, he he really rues the day that he first heard the phrase, the sea is always right. Uh. (laughs) I really like this phrase. I really like it. (laughs) All right. So, folks, we're going to let you decide. Uh, who's right and who's wrong here mm-hmm. we're going to put the this poll on the twitter that's at bust blockbuster on twitter but before we get back to our story we do have one other question to address here and i'm going to pose this one to you priscilla what's worse discovering your bff is a lost prince but from a poisoned bloodline or being stuck on an island filled with haters what's worse priscilla I would, I think, like you, you think you have like a lucky break that if perchance you met a prince, no? mm. but and, and it's very convenient that you met this prince. He comes from this um, kind of place where you have plans to go anyway. You know, you have plans to uh, vacation there. And you would be willing to spend time with this prince there. But then you find out that actually uh, he's no longer a prince, technically, because his family is no more. And second, his family has a history reciting the enemy, not only reciting with the enemy, but like having a blood pact or something, an oath. Like, uh, it's kind of complicated. I think he's a prince with a terrible bloodline and so it's a shock first you think that you're very lucky and then you realize that actually this is not lucky at all this guy is trouble and it's not possibly not even worth it i would say so i think just by the shock of it uh, i would uh, i would say it's the worst part yeah Hmm, that's interesting that's interesting and a very compelling argument but you're completely wrong and here's why (laughs) of course when you're being stuck on an island filled with haters there is no escape this isn't twitter ladies and gentlemen this isn't something that you can just turn off or delete your account and never deal with again everywhere you go you have to hide your hair you have to hide your ears with your hair just so that people will not look at you with hate it's an awful feeling stop the persecution Mm -hmm. this is like a bunch of people picking on a kid on twitter or something don't do it except she can't turn it off hell they're lighting beacons to say oh elf coming elf coming look here's our distress call we were putting on the beacon because it's an elf actually i don't know that's why they did that but it doesn't matter it makes for my argument being on an island where you're hated by every single inhabitant of the island is like being a U.S. tourist and going to St. Thomas mm-hmm. and meeting the locals. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great argument. <laughs> Let's look at last week's. I'll, I'll tell you what, folks. Uh, we'll put that one on the poll as well. At Bus Blockbuster on Twitter. Priscilla fared very well. Uh, with last week's polls for the first question that we asked what's worse being gifted an all-inclusive trip to Valinor uh, 
which is the last place that you actually want to go, or having your subordinates subordinates rebel against you when you just find what you've been looking for. So Priscilla, I believe you argued for the Valinor cruise. And I think the thing that probably swayed most of the audience was the fact that this all-inclusive trip, you didn't see a single thing of refreshment or anything being offered to these. (laughs) It's terrible. It was that that is kind of sad. What what the heck is Mm -hmm. all-inclusive mean? Uh, A a place to stand (laughs) on a boat? Uh, (laughs) At any rate, 62.5% of the audience that voted agreed with you. So victory for Priscilla on that one. Let's move on to the other two storylines in this particular episode of Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. We'll start off with the Harfoots. The Harfoots are having a festival uh, and it I'll, I'll just call it, though, we're leaving. Nobody goes off the trail. Nobody walks alone festival. Uh, Marigold uh, is worried that they're going to get left behind because of Largo's foot. Now, I want to pause here for a moment uh, just to give a little bit of my perspective of being a Harfoot hater. Harfoot haters. Yup. Oh my God. Okay. All of these Harfoots, all they do is dance around, Priscilla. They just dance around and say silly sayings. That's a double S. And they play pranks. That's a double P. But the pranks like, you know, fireweed in, in, in the toe cream. You can't do that. You can't put toe fireweed in a toe cream and then have serious rules that you have to follow uh, about strangers and that kind of thing uh you know when all of your songs are about follow the path don't don't do this don't do that it's just silly what's the point of being joyous about any of that it's so hypocritical so that's my harfoot hating uh do you have any hate on the harfoots with or an argument against me no look i really love the 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 silly song i really love i didn't expect to actually expect that you hate but i really love and the fact that it is actually sarcasm, <laughs> because they do leave people behind all the time, actually. <laughs> so it just killed me. I was laughing so hard. It's like yeah, they are well, thinking about see, not you, leaving you, everybody. As long as you behind. stay on the trail and you keep up, then you're not going to get left behind. Unless, yeah, but they... <laughs> unless a mudslide happens or something like that. No, but listen, no, I didn't break her leg her foot so she could probably go you know but they are going to leave her behind too just because of her father yeah that's That's (laughs) and they keep like yeah we don't leave anybody behind it's like it's such a lie yeah i love it i love it i love that they have this kind of community where like uh if you cannot be 100 100 all the time when you are migrating, they don't care. They are going, you know, and you should be able to fend for for yourself with your broken foot. Amazing. Good. Yeah. Well, you can't wait on you, the caravan. Can't wait on you. Uh, no. So that's that's the crux of it. But Nori's got on another mission. She wants to go to the library herself, but she doesn't have a library card. So she's going to have to steal a book, you know, sneak it under her coat or whatever, mm-hmm. or at least rip a page out of the book. So uh, she blackmails Poppy Proudfoot to help her, and uh, she threatens that that if Poppy doesn't help her, then she will expose Poppy's involvement in putting fireweed in toe cream. Um, but 
she goes in to get the book. She finds the page that she needs, but Sadak returns unexpectedly. Uh, and uh, Nori dives under the table, which just conveniently happens to have a blanket on it to completely cover her up. And of then, course. of course, uh, and then Poppy uh, quick does some quick thinking, uh, tries to distract Sadak while uh, Nori is uh, trying to find the page with a hand. And she's she's <laughs> that was a pretty funny sequence to me. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. so you're going to be coming all right. And, and then, uh, don't get left behind and all of these other things. That was so funny uh, as the hand was just darting around and everything. But anyway, Nori does end up getting the page that she needs. Uh, she leaves it somewhere so that she can join in with this uh, leave behind ceremony, which is all doom and gloom about people who got left behind by their own rules. Uh, and by the way, it's very nice of Nor uh, of Nori to blackmail the the friend who lost her whole family. <laughs> it's amazing. Hey, I love the Harfoots. When you are a Harfoot, I can only imagine that fireweed in your toe cream can be the is one of the worst possible offenses ever. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, so uh, Poppy deserved to be uh, Poppy deserved to be blackmailed for that, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, and Nori got her way that way too. So that's all good. Yeah. At any rate, as they're having this horrible, horrible ceremony where they remember all of those left behind, uh, <laughs> <laughs> by their own rules, they got left behind. But yeah. nonetheless, uh, there's there's some tension building up uh, as we hear about this uh, regarding Largo, Marigold, Nori, and uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember the other little girl's name, but uh, I think it starts with D. Um, one of the things that I got out of that particular thing, despite my finding the finding it completely absurd, was that we got a sense of of Poppy's history. Uh, obviously, those were her uh, her her family members that got caught in mm-hmm. that mudslide, and I was very saddened by that. Uh, I genuinely, yeah. I felt bad for for Poppy in that moment. Then the stranger comes in. It's kind of like the drunk guy that crashes the party and then just knocks over the food table. He comes in and he sees this paper and uh, he realizes, oh, this is home. This is home. And he wants to see it better. So he tries to hold it close to the fire, catches it on fire, causes a big stir, uh, knocks tents over, knocks all kinds of carts over and uh, then ends up getting covered up. And then when he comes up, he looks like this huge monster to all of these, all of these Harfoots. And uh yeah, once and then he sees Nori, and of course he says her name. It's the only word that yeah. he can say that he knows. And he's looking to her for help. And this completely calls Nori out. All of the things that she's been hiding, that mm-hmm. dastardly Harfoot, she's been so hiding and everything. But Sadak wants to forgive her uh, after he threatens that uh, she could get left behind. Her whole family could get left behind for this. No, you you're forgetting the. the- caravanning stuff which is amazing i love this okay you tell me about the decaravanning now remember that like the if you go against the rules mm-hmm. of their community which is like basically you cannot bring strangers uh, to the community you cannot do this okay then so... you risk being decaravaned so basically shunned or left not left behind left but behind. getting kicked Getting yeah. kicked out of the clan, basically. Never to return. Never to return. Just That's like those like... people in that poor mudslide. Never yes. to return, even though it wasn't their fault that a mudslide happened. 
Uh, anyway, Sadek does his judgment. He says that the Brandyfoot family can come. They will not be decaravaned, uh, but they can only be at the back of the caravan, <gasps> which makes it really tough on Largo. How the heck is he with his broken foot going to be able to keep up? Marigold is really angry at Nori about throwing everything into the wind. Uh, she lets she just rants and raves on her for a couple minutes simply because now they might get left behind. And it's something that no mm-hmm. Harfoot wants to get is left behind. Uh, would they put now if they had been decaravaned, would their names go into the book that Sadak reads no. from? What do you think? No, no. So they don't even no. get a mention I think, in the book. I think there is a distinction being left behind and being decaravaned. If so, you've been decaravan, it's because uh, an action that you did uh, yeah, led okay. you to be shunned by the others. If you're being left behind, it's just like, oh, I'm sorry, you cannot come. Choose. Goodbye. Oh, boy. All right. So decaravanning is excommunicado. No more. Yes. The most extreme of you can't even come back to the group ever. Uh, where being mm-hmm. left behind is just happenstance because of stupid rules. Uh, so at any rate, uh, they end up at the back of the caravan, the caravan's moving along. Um, no wonder Largo was having such trouble with it. Cause evidently the stranger was hiding in the back of the damn thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> try to make matters worse, but and then the stranger pops out and he says he friend, uh, which is, I guess the other learned word or the other word he learned from Nori. And uh, then Nori says, oh, I've got an idea. You're big. You pull the cart. Maybe we can put Largo in the back, although she doesn't say that, but that's what I would do. Put Largo in the back of that cart. Let him cart it for a while. Uh, Let the stranger cart it for a while. And we'll help you find your stars. Um, So that seems like a pretty good compromise. They're already kind of far behind uh, Mm -hmm. by the time we see that one far away shot of the entire caravan. But I imagine with with, uh, the stranger they'll probably pick up uh, quite a bit yeah, will. Of, of pace there pretty soon. Yes. So any other thoughts about the Harfoots this particular episode? As I said, I thought it was hilarious. The whole, the whole premise. I mean, I, I have to say also that I, uh, the ceremony about people being left behind, it moved me because of the, I didn't know Poppy was an orphan. I hadn't realized that, but she is an orphan, a harphon, a harphon, <laughs> I don't know. And, but the whole premise of their society and like how they make everything seems very cute because they're small and they are whimsical, but actually they are kind of like, it's pretty dark. Their society is pretty, pretty dark. If you come to think of like, uh, you get a cold, you're left behind. You break your 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 foot, you get left behind. Um, you don't understand a stranger danger. You are the caravan. So it's like, yeah, tough, tough. It's tough to be a Harford. Who would have thought? For people that seem to have so much fun, they certainly don't have a whole lot of fun. Uh, it's a cult. It's a cult. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the rock uh, part of the episode where Aaron Deer finds himself captured as an orc camp. I was completely wrong. I thought it was going to be Ints that were capturing him there. I really? thought it, the orc thing was completely separate. 
Um, just because of all the tree roots and everything, I thought, oh, maybe an mm. ant slipped down there or something. But no, no, it was, in fact, orcs that grabbed him. Uh, it looks like most of his elf friends have been grabbed as well, his orc friends from mm -hmm. the Watchtower. Looks like there, there's all kinds of people that have been captured and are being turned into slaves or orcs or something around there. But he and his fellow slaves uh, figure out about the tunnels, which is something that should have been pretty obvious to any viewers like two episodes ago. Nonetheless, uh, they figured out, oh, the tunnels shield them from the sun and they can go undetected as well uh, from mm -hmm. any of the towers. It's like, oh, two and two does equal four, Aaron Deer. Uh, but we also find out that their leader is... Adar, uh, who uh, Rivian, I believe, was the uh, kind of the commander of that elf troop, uh, believes be believes maybe another name for Sauron. Um, mm -hmm. They make a plan to escape uh, by checking out the, their surroundings and everything. Uh, but then uh, there's an argument about whether the tree needs to go or not. And one of the orcs offers a water ration. Uh, but it's comes with it comes with a, a little bit of a string attached to it, a throat slitting surprise. Uh, and <laughs> it ends uh, with those thoughts. Uh, you know, it ends any thoughts of, of escape at that moment uh, it, because uh, Medhor, the one who disapproved of Arendir and Bor uh, Bronwyn in the first mm -hmm. episode, he is the one who gets killed. I say good mm -hmm. riddance to that elf. He doesn't know what love is. And Arendir does. Um, <laughs> I think neither. Huh? I think neither knows. I think they're both not experienced. Pretty clueless. Yeah, probably yeah. so. Uh, Aaron Deer uh, gets a chance to uh, check out where they are uh, when he offers to actually cut the tree down to kind of calm the situation down. And uh, sometime after, uh, Aaron Deer's commander starts the revolt. Uh, that's Rivian, I guess. And Arendir, uh helps out. The orcs release a warg on them. Uh, mm -hmm. It does some damage. It starts killing some things. And then Arendir, uh starts doing some Orlando Bloom legless stuff uh, to help his commander, uh, Revian, get away. Mm -hmm. Pretty useless. Evidently, there's, there's somebody out there who doesn't resist or who doesn't have that much of a sunlight effect on him that's shooting arrows at him he's he's pretty dead pretty quickly mm -hmm. and then they uh, uh aaron deer he tries to he's trying to escape himself they throw him back into the pit they're about to kill him uh but the chief says they will bring him to their leader and we see the leader from the back with a strange glove on his left hand and then we start to see his face as he comes into, oh, wait, the screen goes unfocused. You'll have mm -hmm. to wait until next episode. Dar mm -hmm. is shown, or maybe not. Maybe they won't even <laughs> go back to The Rock next episode. Who knows what's going to happen there? Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I, we do know that there is actually an Adar. We just don't know whether Revion was right about him yet or not. <laughs> So, any thoughts about the Aaron yeah. storyline? Well, I guess it's not Sauron. Mm. I think it's another uh, character. And I saw pointed ear, so it's an elf. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, we, we are going to have a story. We are going to have a story, like a drama mm -hmm. about it. 
this guy. Maybe he's a fallen elf. Maybe he's related to one of the elves we've seen okay. right now, until now. Who knows? If I would uh, guess, I think uh, he's like an, uh, a tenant of Sauron. He's like a second in command to Sauron. And possibly one of those elves who came uh, from Valinor to fight the evil but turn. Uh, if I would guess that. Darth Vader, he turned to the dark side. He's yeah, I think I think this series, like uh, in this episode, uh, Halbrand, he gives these vibes that he is going to become a prince and then, uh, you know, uh, Galadriel will go to all this trouble to give him a kingdom and uh, and he will go instead of becoming a good king he's going to become the witch king you know maybe it's going to be one of these instances where you think you're doing a good uh, good thing helping a friend but actually will backfire in mm. this case will backfire to Galadriel possibly uh, that's what I feel the story is going forward unless Halbrand is one of those guys with a heart of gold, but like with terrible methods because he doesn't seem to be very ethical. Let's be honest here. And we have this other, if he's an elf and um, he's an elf from Valinor, for instance, then at some point in his life, he was an elf of the light who turns to the darkness. So... The yeah, and you have Teal, not like Browning's son too. I mean, that guy, that little guy, he's surely like a Sauron lieutenant in training. I would say so. Wow. Wow. That, that's that's what I feel like. But maybe like they are throwing some uh, red herrings for us to think that the story is going to go this direction but not but honestly I, I feel that we are going to see some people being deceived One and thing also that... I, I keep thinking about Kalimbrimbor that he needs this like forge this tower to be ready by spring and I keep thinking back why is spring what is wrong with that so uh, there's something kind of fishy mm, about that having a hard exactly that there is a lot of things fishy about people that uh you know they keep this facade and you don't know exactly who they are uh and they have stories with their families like Halbrand, like Theo, like uh Kelimbrimbor and uh you know sometimes evil works in different ways in Tolkien and sometimes it's a choice and sometimes it's circumstances so Kalimbrimbor case is he was deceived uh, and maybe in Halbrand's case will be some sort of curse or maybe in this other case was a choice so maybe we can see like how you can turn evil or you can serve evil through different paths that's okay all right well these are serious questions to ponder as we continue to go through this series but we have some other serious questions that we need to ask like our second round of what's worse What's worse? And our second round of what's worse uh, consists of two questions this time around. Before we start, I will just remind everybody that Priscilla was very good last week. Uh, she beat me. And because she beat me at this particular question is why I took uh, having a son graduating uh, or, or leaving before graduation as my argument for an earlier what's worse question. 
simply because she beat the crap out of me in this poll as well, which asked, what's worse, having a lot of having a hot elf interested in you, but you were both unable to hook up or to have your surly teenager son hide an evil broken sword under your floor. Priscilla argued for the surly son. That's a double S. And uh, she got the vote by 60% of you voted for surly son. So Priscilla is completely victorious for last (laughs) week's rounds of what's worse. Not unsurprising because I tend to argue pretty ridiculously sometimes. But now, Priscilla, I'm going to have you ask a new what's worse question for these storylines. Okay, so um, this is a little bit uh, torturous, but I think it uh, it will serve well. So having to welcome a strange and possibly evil man into your family because you broke your foot or setting things ablaze depending on your mood swings, what is worse? That's pretty amazing. I think that there is so much instability in setting things ablaze uh, depending on your mood swings because you just never know. Which mood swing is going to trigger setting things ablaze? Because you you don't understand uh, this person. Why why would they do that? What can I do to appease him and or her? And they're just going to set things ablaze anyway, uh, because you know, because they feel bad inside, or because they feel mm-hmm. good inside. Who knows? It's just too unpredictable. That's why that's worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I would argue that the what is worse, if, like, is to have to open the doors of your family cart to a strange man mm. who's possibly evil. You don't know, just because you're unable. He does to kill fireflies family. after all. Yeah, so you don't have like the family is like your treasure, right? Like yeah. the, your family is everything for you. To you. So you need help and you have to accept this help, but you don't know which price you have to pay for this help. Maybe the price is too high because this person can be completely evil and you would help be helping evil. Mm. Maybe it's just like uh, you're just saving yourself for one day just to go completely uh, for this stranger to go completely insane on you a couple of days later. So um, I think it's worse. Well, folks, we will put that on the poll once again at Bus Blockbuster on Twitter. Don't forget that you can send us any thoughts that you have about the episodes or the podcast via that Twitter handle as well. You can also send thoughts to us via email mattsaudioblog at gmail.com m-a-t-t-s audioblog at gmail.com if you want to talk to our bosses because you know you don't want to say the bad things about us to our face (laughs) then feel free to tweet at the word double the letters phq on twitter and let them know how you feel about that Uh, but you won't find the polls there you'll only find find the polls at bus blockbuster on twitter i have one last what's worse question for you priscilla Mm, tell me What's worse, trying to choose between the many, 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 many words for death that Galadriel told us that uh, they came up, the elves came up with for each of your elf friends who have been killed in an orc pit or just outside it, or trying to help someone who just crashes your caravan party and causes nothing but trouble as a complication. That drunk guy, he came in, he knocked over all of our food, the barbecue is ruined. What do you do about that guy? So which is worse? 
I think it's like try to help someone who crashes your caravan party. Mm. Uh, because this has like um, some implications, not only for you, but possibly to your whole community. This guy is just there and you don't know this guy. And like, obviously, he will eat your food, he will drink your water, and he will possibly not offer you anything in return mm. because he's just crashing. And he doesn't even know how to speak your language. So it's like, uh, you cannot even say, hey, dude, can you pay rent? No. Good argument, but you're completely wrong. And here's why. <laughs> when you have to choose between so many words, I mean, Priscilla, you can appreciate this. You speak like 50,000 different languages. Okay, maybe mm -hmm. five. But I say there are so many different words that you could inter <laughs> intertwine within all of these languages uh, to tell somebody that they're a jerk without even them knowing that mm -hmm. <laughs> you're telling them a jerk. But how do you choose which one? Which one is more accurate? The German word mm -hmm. for Matt is a jerk or the jer or the Portuguese word for Matt is a jerk. How do you choose that? And here mm -hmm. we're talking about death and Galadriel's told us that there's many, many, many words for death now that they fought in Morgoth. Uh, so for Aaron here, this is a problem uh, because obviously Midhor died differently than Revion. So mm -hmm. do you use that as a context for the kind of word you use when you do happen to get out of there, if you happen mm -hmm. to get out of there, if you ever get back to Bronwyn, what word for death are you going to use when you describe Revion's death as opposed to Midhor's death? I think that these oh, are yeah. very important considerations and Language is always a problem. Everything is always about communication. People, if we do not communicate properly, how are we ever going to get along? And so yeah. this is this is Aaron Deer's problem. And I believe that we should put this on the poll at Bus Blockbuster on Twitter. Be sure to vote for it. And uh, as is likely, you will probably vote against me. Nonetheless, uh, we'll move on uh, to other subjects here. A couple of pieces of feedback actually from our boss, Bubba. Yeah, uh, like, uh, oh my God, our bosses. Yeah, bosses. They're always chiming in uh, with their own mm -hmm. thoughts about things. And, and sometimes you have to listen to them. So here's what yeah. Bubba said. Uh, I want to go to his comment on YouTube from the first episode first, uh, mm -hmm. where Double P put on our video covering episodes one and two of this series saying that he enjoyed the first episode more than the second and found the tension at the end of the first episode wonderful. Mm -hmm. So for this week, he continues to say that he loved the first episode. The second episode had good moments and moments that he didn't care about. But this third episode was his least favorite of the three. So much exposition and lore that should have been introduced in a natural flow of narrative rather than info dumps. The episode also featured two of my least favorite devices. The first mm -hmm. one being, we spend a huge amount of time on why is an elf here? How dare an elf come here? We shall confine Galadriel to the castle. Uh, literally, in Galadriel's next scene, she is free doing whatever she wants. Why waste our time with all of this? And the second convention that Bubba disliked was uh, during the whole episode, the orcs are setting up this leader Adar, the big bad in that particular storyline, but it doesn't show up until the end. Why? Why are we dragging our feet? Get on with it. 
having all of the orcs speak his praises doesn't make him a great foe in the audience's eyes. Seeing him do evil or doing mm -hmm. evil things or seeing uh, his power, that's what would make him a great villain. And we spend an episode not seeing him do anything. Arg. And, and, and I just want to make sure to tell the audience that this was all written in caps. So our boss was screaming at us. Yes. yes he would. <laughs> I tried to make it a little more friendly um, hey. than the way that it was written. I think he but just did all... that because he realized I probably needed it in all caps in order to be able to read it fairly <laughs> clearly. But nonetheless, uh, yes, all but caps. I can argue. I can argue the first uh, the first bit the same argument I used with you. It's just like, they are just like, Miriel, the queen, is just saying that she's putting Galadriel in prison just to please the court. It's just like, she's just playing a game of what is official and what is not official. Like, officially, she is this hardcore elf hater. And unofficially, she is like a friend of the elves. So this whole thing, oh, why an elf is here? How dare you come here? And whatever, uh, from her part, it's just theater. She's just like, it's just theater. Galadriel is, was never a prisoner there. It's just for uh, theatricals. Uh, and about orcs and the um, setting up Ada, you know, I agree with that. It was a lot of setup, a lot of build up. Uh, but, you know, coming from uh, a fandom like A Song of Ice and Fire, where basically any thread that like George R. R. Martin put, like some people would argue, oh, this is just a head herring. No. So uh, to the point where you have, um, you know, the um, Jon Snow at the wall being the shield that protects men and like, um, Daenerys like having flaming swords like the dragons and people they're still trying to argue like to this day uh, who is the song of ice and fire even though we have like uh, discovering um, uh, like house of the dragon but you know it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if the audience decides anyway <laughs> that something is not a sign, that something is not foreshadowing, then it won't be. So basically, I think they are trying to hype this guy more like for the other um, characters than for us. Yeah, uh, I, I get that. I get that. We do have one other poll that I had put out earlier this week, uh, which posed the following situation. The fact that Galadriel, when she was mm -hmm. in the old Morgoth establishment where evidently all of the orcs went and hid after Morgoth was defeated. Uh, she says a comment that this place is so evil that the torches give off no warmth. She says that in episode mm -hmm. one. Then in episode two, Nori says it's not hot, referring to the fire in the crater. Poppy mm -hmm. says, fine, it's not hot. And because of this, do we wonder if we make that connection of the fire not being hot in regards to the stranger? Could he possibly be evil? So I asked, is the stranger evil or not based on this? Actually, two thirds of the people, 66.7% said that they still believe that the stranger is not evil, mm -hmm. um, despite any of this evidence. So was this evidence kind of a red herring or just a coincidence, do you think? I'm undecided. Undecided. 
Yeah, I'm... because there there is contest, right? When Galadriel is there, like, and she says that the fire, the place is so evil that the torch give off no warmth. She is like in the northern, northest, part, like part of the world where, like, the temperature is already very cold, and obviously she's in an evil place. So uh, you you I understood that it's like you're not getting warmth, so you're not. Yeah. Um, you can't change the temperature of a fire, though, based on the temp on the temperatures no, around but, it. Exactly, but like I understood that it, it's the place who is doing that. Right. Okay. So, so is the is the crater not like a place where the fire isn't hot? But you have a falling person there, like a, I don't know right, what, but, what he is. But whatever he's what emanating he is, could be so a... evil that it would make that fire not hot. No, that's the opposite. That's a con the contest is opposite. Like you have a person there and you have another person going to save that. So maybe it's some magical fire that is trying to um keep this person uh alive. Basically. I would I would argue that the same flame that one elf could You want you want fight. him to be evil. Well, I'm just saying that to me the parallel is the fact that the flame at the place was not hot. And mm -hmm. the the flame in the crater was not hot. Now, mm -hmm. Galadriel gives us a reason for that. She says the flame is it's not evil. hot. It gives off no warmth because it's... So, so why would you say that's okay for one spot, but not for the other? Contest, because like you, you're in a cold spot in an evil palace, and you expect the, the fire to give you warmth. But it's the evil that's causing it. It's not the no. place. It's the evil. No, no. If you are in a cold place, the first thing you want to be is warm, right? So you set a fire and you get like there and you get all comfortable. But if you are in a, a big explosion, you don't want to get burned. Okay. Uh, I I love your videos that you're doing on the Lord of the Rings mm. as well for your own YouTube channel. They're great. Uh, they're very extensive and, and they, they really express a lot of things, some of which you guys will hear on our podcast here, but some of which she kind of saves in the bucket for her own, uh, her own video presentations. So I urge you to subscribe to Priscilla TV on YouTube. Just search for Priscilla TV on YouTube, subscribe, like the videos. Don't mm -hmm. worry that they're in Portuguese. Actually, no. the translator works really good. If you switch yeah. it to auto translate and English, I, I get everything that she's talking about uh, and the context that it's in. When I watch the subtitles translated into English, they're very good. They're very good presentations. Oh. Watch them. Uh, once again, Priscilla, mm. thanks for joining. Thank me. you. Thank you for all the compliments. Well, let's see if I get better. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time, folks. Yeah. <laughs>